0: All right, we are rolling now, counting us down, three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hello there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is,
1: uh, introspective. That's right, you let your mule carry you wherever it would, and it brought you to the Missing Out podcast.
0: Dang right. We are in week two of the month with no name, and so today we're going to be covering Fistful of that's good yeah that's what the the soundtrack sounded like to me that's fair um and so yes this is the 1964 movie starring clint eastwood his first leading vehicle directed by sergio leone it is an adaptation
1: uh, big, big finger quotes and the type of finger quotes that he is is uh, demonstrating to me so finger quotey, so aggressively finger quotey that it is all ten it's digits, all of my fingers, it's all ten digits simultaneously.
0: Um, but it's an adaptation, according to the courts, of Yojimbo, <laughs> uh, that was the Akira Kurosawa film about a wandering samurai, and this one is about a wandering gun not like a physical gun but like he's a he's a cowboy yes. it's a western setting it's a spaghetti western specifically um one of the very first like big popular spaghetti westerns. so
1: there had been in the couple of years leading up to fistful of dollars there had been i want to say something like 25 uh european westerns uh, from italy from spain from west germany of all places which i find i find interesting but fistful of dollars was the one that sort of that really broke the dam on that entire thing. It was the first one. Whereas the previous European Westerns had been, you know, takeoffs on, on the American Western template. Uh, Sergio Leone's fistful of dollars was the first one that really was sort of owning its, its identity as a very Italian Western.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the specific purpose in bringing this in and the whole purpose of the month with no name is to explore how different, content creators or directors specifically um, handled the same story.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Can you, can you, can you say the name of the month again?
0: The month with no name. (laughs) Branding. Hell yeah. Uh, So, uh, Lex Michael. Yeah. Uh, later, once we get past the spoiler wall, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce a new segment called What's the Difference?
1: (laughs) Okay, great. I like it.
0: But uh, for now, uh, generally speaking, uh, how would you pitch this movie?
1: All right. So uh, Sergio Leone is the greatest director of Italian Westerns of all Time. A fistful of dollars being, as we just referenced, sort of ground zero for the big spaghetti western phenomenon that took off in its wake. It is the birth of Clint Eastwood, the icon. As you mentioned, this was his first real leading role in a feature. He, uh, of course, had been on the show Rawhide. Prior to this, but this is everything you think of when you think of Clint Eastwood. The icon uh, is it from this essentially this, and also like I think Dirty Harry sort of made up the difference a little bit later. But like this is this is sort of ground zero for that, and instantly an icon was born. Instantly, an entire new subgenre was born. It's uh, incredibly grand and sweeping and operatic, and spaghetti westerns have a style unlike anything that had come before, and really unlike anything that's come since. Everything that feels like this is directly referencing this, you know what I mean? Like this, these types of movies, and Sergio Leone did it better than anybody else. Uh, on top of which, Scott Music by the greatest of all Spaghetti Western composers and one of my favorite composers of all time, Ennio Morricone. Everything about this movie, I think, is, is so great. Like I get that the barrier for entry uh, for some people might be kind of high because Westerns just really aren't their jam. And I felt that way about Westerns for a long time as well. Like a lot of American Westerns, even some of the great ones, like I think for example, like Howard Hawks Rio Bravo. Great, great, great American Western, but like has a bit of a sleepy, almost pace to it. Uh, Very chilled to the point where I think for some people it's, it's, uh, I don't think it's boring, but if you said boring, I I would understand where you're coming from. Whereas these, these movies have this sort of uh, vicious, rough, Edge to them, and they really reshaped the perception of what a Western could be, could do. And I think, as a historical artifact, Fistful of Dollars is truly fascinating, but I also think, as a movie, it's consistently entertaining. For me, um, and all of the elements just so work. I would say this is like once in a lifetime lightning in a bottle. But then, of course, Leone and Clint Eastwood teamed up on two sequels to this movie uh, for a few dollars more, which paired him with Lee Van Cleef, and also, of course, uh, *The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly*, one of the most revered films of all time, which brought back both Eastwood, Van Cleef, and also brought in uh, Eli Wallach. Um, it, it's 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 got its rep for a reason. You know what I mean? And, like, it's a movie that I'm a huge, huge fan of, as I'm a huge fan of all of Leone's films, I think. Like, every one of his Westerns is a masterpiece. Uh, but Fistful of Dollars, obviously, it's a, a remake of Yojimbo, and we're going to talk about the thing, and we're going to compare and contrast. And I now really want to get your thoughts, Tari, having come to Fistful of Dollars for the first time.
0: Um, so, I'm not a Western guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can appreciate all of the history aspects of this and like it's, it's groundbreaking nature and then how it's like imprinted upon all of Westerns moving forward. I am not a Western guy. So this movie was a, a little bit of a slog for me.
1: Yeah. The barrier for entry kind yeah. of being high.
0: Right. Yeah. And uh, I think it's, it's a lot of the fact that for me, unless it's like a super insanely stylized gunfight, When it, when, when guns, when it's just a bunch of people shooting at each other, my eyes kind of glaze over and I'm like, I wait for the noise to stop. Yeah. Um, and so like that happens a lot in this movie. Um, so I, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I can appreciate what it meant to the genre. Right. Yeah. Um, and also like, I mean, seeing Clint Eastwood do his Clint Eastwood thing, like I haven't this is probably the first time I've seen young Clint Eastwood. Right. Uh, I'm used to seeing him in, in things like the Expendables or. Well, he was in that, yes. Um, was he in that? I, think,
1: I don't think I Clint think he Eastwood's was in a in scene Eastwood. or no. are, you think, are you just thinking of Gran Torino where he's his own one man racist Expendables? Probably.
0: Um, yeah, I'm used to seeing old Clint Eastwood. Um, and so this was the first time I saw Clint Eastwood, a.k.a. Scott Eastwood's dad um who he looks scott eastwood looks just like young clint eastwood he does um so like now i i see it i get it um but yeah so you know it's it's cool it's dope it's not bad um i mean i couldn't help as i was watching to compare it to Jimbo, since that was what we saw last week. And so that was what I got a lot of the kick out of was kind of like seeing what the the individual story changes were, how they adapted it for the genre, like who was whose uh, character mirror.
1: Yes. But also the way Leone's own uh, unique cultural background informed the movie as well, because obviously, even though the story is largely the same, uh, you have, for example, a lot of Roman Catholic imagery that, of course, doesn't exist in Yojimbo that Leone put in his movie. You've also got the elements of the story that were inspired more directly by, like, you know, Italian uh, Commedia dell'Arte and uh, Servant of Two Masters in particular, just the, the concept of uh, two houses where sort of this, this uh, let's call it an agent of chaos, sort of comes in and plays one against the other um, to a degree that even though, of course, like those story elements are present in Yojimbo, that as a specific Touchpoint is something that Leone leaned on more than Kurosawa would.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: Um, I I don't think I am
0: versed enough in in like classic cinema to even like pick that that piece out. So I'm glad I'm learning it. Oh, uh, okay. I'm uh, here learning things. Yeah,
1: Commedia dell'arte is a, a old theatrical tradition, and I'm not an expert, so I couldn't sit here and really regale you. Yeah. Hey, can you
0: tell I... me the whole history of Commedia dell'arte? I know that. Nick Cage loves it. A lot of
1: mask stuff.
0: Um, ooh. Like Eyes Wide Shut? Just like Eyes Wide Shut. Nice. Yeah. O- or uh, the Jim Carrey movie, The Mask? Just like that. I- just like Eyes Wide Mask. Ooh. My favorite mashup. Or should I say my favorite? Mask up.
1: You shouldn't. You <laughs> but should, I did. You should not. We, we market tested that. People hate it. Oh, well... Forget the market. I do this for passion. Like somebody huddles up with me in the corner. But sir, people, people love the handing me like data. People love mask up. It's like shh. I'm like tearing the shit up (laughs) quietly, burning it. Ah, um,
0: man, when when did you get so red? Um, so (laughs) (laughs) what? Sorry, that was a that was a dumb political joke. I see.
1: Oh, I see. Yes. Yes.
0: Um, anyway, I think, I think now, uh, we can't really move forward without dropping down the spoiler wall where we talk about the, the story. We talk about all the spoilers, baby. We talk about the, the, the differences between the not source material, but Yojimbo and this movie. We talk about the performances. We talk about the shot techniques, all of those things we're going to do behind that spoiler wall.
1: We're going to fucking talk about some Fucking shot techniques, you piece of shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so, if
0: you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, you don't want to know anything about the story beyond the the basics that we've already shared, then this is your point to jump off. Uh, but if you've seen it or you're a rebel and you don't even care to see it before we talk about it, then you can join us after the break. While you're here, uh, why don't you go onto iTunes And leave us a rating or a review that really helps people find us, really helps us get to the top of the charts. Uh, And Any five-star review or rating that we get, we will read here on the show, give you a nice little shout-out. So uh, if you feel so inclined, please help us out. Uh, Otherwise, we will see you right after this break. And we are back. So... Lex Michael. Yes. Uh, I'm going to, this is, it's time for our new segment exclusive to this type of uh, monthly program. Oh, uh, what what's, what's, what's the month called? It's uh, the month with no name. Wachah, <laughs> branding. <laughs> uh, so this segment is called, what's the difference? All right. And so now we kind of go over a few of the differences between the original Yojimbo and this story. Um, I feel like the big uh, difference is the way that the, uh, the playing the two sides against one another happens. Okay. In that it very, in, in Yojimbo, it very clearly is him literally walking back and forth between the two and them like trying to buy his obedience. Whereas in a uh, fistful of dollars, he, specifically aligns with one side while secretly uh, feeding information to the other side. Right. Um, and they definitely go out of their way to make sure that you know that the Rojos uh, are the big bad guys. Yes. Um, whereas it didn't feel like either of the families in Yojimbo really had a leg up over the other, or really had anything else going on.
1: Right. Compared to the Rojos, the the Baxter seem largely ineffectual.
0: Right. Um, and so I thought that was a really interesting way of going about it. Like I think that the way that um, Sandro went about, like went about playing the two sides, is very like it's played for comedy for the most part. Where um, he's like, I'm a badass, and then the both sides will like meet at the same time and be like, But what if you were a badass for me? And the other side's like, No, he's a badass for me, right? Um, in their big Spanish accents, um, but. <laughs> But in this one, I, I do like that it, it feels like it has a kind of an espionage feel
1: to it. Yes. There is, so as we discussed last week, Yojimbo is very much a comedy. For all the gnarly, grisly, manipulative business that goes down, it's it's Kurosawa was intentionally making a funny movie. Uh, Leone's movie is not played funny. Like Everything in the movie is played ultra serious. This is a very grand, operatic movie. But at the same time, it's very aware of what it's doing in terms of playing with and redefining form and playing with and redefining genre and there is sort of a knowingness almost like a a kind of winking sense of humor about the way the entire thing is presented but as as you say like that everything is played completely serious in a really operatic way and that too like that's every element of this thing works perfectly in service of that goal right um and so yeah like watching watching uh, eastwood's stranger who is stranger but like the one or two characters in the movie call him joe the man with no name uh, is essentially a marketing thing yeah was created like for the american release when they started selling the ideas like the man with no name and so because he's essentially playing the same character in all three of the Dollars Trilogy movies, that's what this character is known as. And he's given different monikers in every movie. Uh, in this one, it happens to be Joe. Sort of, whereas Toshiro Mifune's character in Yojimbo feels very much like, you know, he's he's taken his ultimate goal seriously, right? He wants to eradicate these this criminal element. But you almost get to have fun with him yeah. while he goes about manipulating these two sides. Everything with the stranger, like the way... Eastwood plays it and the way the movie plays all of it it's not you're not having you're not having fun with him you know what I mean like you're having fun watching him because of the way like what I was talking about the way the movie is very knowing and the way it's playing with form and playing with genre but mm. the fun doesn't actually come from going on the journey with him. it's mostly like it's just rough for him right like he doesn't like Yojimbo is brought low in that Yojimbo uh Sanjuro is brought low in Yojimbo At a certain point, they beat him up just like they beat up, uh, they beat Joe to hell in this movie. But other than that, like he's he's generally having a decent time because the movie lets him. Whereas this movie does not really give its protagonist the opportunity to really have a good a good time.
0: Yeah, I would say the only time he shows any real type of levity, and the the movie plays it very straight but it feels like a moment that should be farcical which is when he tries to get the three dudes to apologize to his mule yes um and that part it it felt very reminiscent of yojimbo and that like it's definitely feels like something that sandra would do right um but i i feel like yes a lot of and and it, it kind of goes back to the quote from sergio leone where he's like Clint Eastwood has two expressions. It's with a hat and without a hat. Um, <laughs> yes. and like you you really get that feeling that, like he, for the most part, his character is just uh, determined. Yes, and he is willing to uh, enact his his plan, no matter what, and no matter what the stakes are. And you get that. yes. um but there's no
1: aspect of real fun. Yes, but part of that, too, is because his character is not as fully defined as Mufune's character in Yojimbo. Uh, and that's by design. They they intentionally molded this character in such a way that it allowed it to be more of an icon than a human being. Right. Uh, sort of to that Goal Clint Eastwood actually requested fewer lines of dialogue as this character because he felt like the more enigmatic this character the more effective that this character uh, would be ultimately and I think that was very much the right decision like as we referenced before like Clint Eastwood this was his first re- his first starring role in a feature and instantly the idea of the icon, Clint Eastwood, was born. So I think ultimately, you know, those choices were super effective. Right. Um, But yeah, by extension, you don't get a sense of fun because you barely get a sense of this dude is completely human. He's this unknowable, not necessarily a force of nature, but just this unknowable entity.
0: Right. Because, yeah, you never really get a sense of his true motivations. He just kind of, like, does things, and you, you have to kind of ascribe... Subtext to it
1: Right Like well how Sanjuro makes very Plain He His idea is Well I'm gonna wipe out This criminal element Because this is Sort of the This is the rot That's infecting You know the, the, This whole land And stuff So what I'm gonna do Is I'm gonna wipe out This syndicate And this syndicate And here's how I'm gonna do it Whereas Yeah Joe just As you say Just sort of does things Just sort of rolls into town Goes Well these guys are rude So I'm gonna kill them uh, These guys seem like jerks but maybe they'll pay me. So I'm going to go work for them. Oh, they're really jerkish. So I'm going to be sort of p- almost petty and vindictive and go to their competition and be like, Hey, so these jerks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Now all of a sudden, whoops, gang war. And I accidentally got that whole family killed. Darn. <laughs> yep. Just like that. Um, another big difference are the,
0: the dynamics of the families. So in Yojimbo, we had, uh, Sebe uh who it was just him and his wife uh, running the brothel. Mm. Um and then we had Ushitora who uh he it was him and his brothers uh who was more of the second thought. And so I feel like in uh Fist Full of Dollars, um it almost reverses the order of those things And that um initially uh, Sandro initially Sanjiro went to Sebei's family and was like yo 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 pay me monies um, but this time he goes directly for the Ushitura uh, surrogate and starts getting involved with the brothers and you start meeting them through him mm-hmm. um, and you start to learn about their sense of justice and all that stuff um, which I thought was an interesting way of like really streamlining that whole process in that it gets you already in, in it gets him intertwined with the the big bads so that you can really kind of you know attribute your morality in terms of the way that they go about doing business and you meet uh, ramon a lot earlier than you meet um uh i forget his name um uno unosuke yes thank you um so yeah like Unosuke comes in, like, way, like, I want to say over halfway through the movie, and he's just someone that they, like, talk about every so often. But Ramon is there by, like, I want to say the first third, um, because you get to see him massacre a bunch of people with his minigun or Gatling gun. I I don't know the difference between a minigun and a Gatling gun. I think the main difference is a crank, whereas, um, so Gatling guns have the big crank, whereas miniguns don't. Um, but that's the only thing that I can really give as a distinction between what he was using.
1: He sounds sure. (laughs)
0: Um, I, that's, that's the only thing which I think is interesting. So like we have the, um, more so in more of this, what's the difference? Um, is, uh, Unosuke had the pistol, which was his like big Westernized thing and then we get Ramon, who has the uh, the rifle, and that's the surrogate
1: for that pistol. Right. It's the when the man with the forty five meets the man with the Winchester, the man with the pistol, uh, something something gun get shot.
0: Right. Um, but I I feel like you can't introduce a minigun and ha- not have that be the big thing he's contending against.
1: Which which is actually this is a very fair point, and my only response to that is well. Sure, but then in the final confrontation, a minigun probably would have just ripped through his armor, <laughs> 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 and he would be dead. Um.
0: Yes. Well, I mean, but there are other ways that you could that he could you could have like shown off his like skills or whatever. But like, I think yes, if this movie was made today, it a hundred percent would have been the Chekhov's minigun. Like that would have been the final thing that he had to contend against. There's a really cool um, sequence in Rurouni Kenshin, uh, which is an anime that maybe I'll make you watch, but i probably won't. Um, you are a merciful God. (laughs) Um, but it is a bunch of like melee fighters essentially against a Gatling gun. Um, and all of them are working together to try to take down the rich guy who's shooting it. Um, and it takes a bunch of these dudes like, uh, essentially giving their life to, to, allow the main character to get close enough to take the dude out, um, which I thought was a really cool sequence. And I think that like, if this was made now, then that would be essentially how, It plays out where he has his minigun and these other people are working together or like he's so good with bullets He like shoots one and jams the 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 rotator and
1: and then he's like ha ha 45 beats minigun every day. It's like the end of the matrix where he just he becomes bullets Like he's just he's so (laughs) one with violence that he becomes bullets himself. No, I feel like if it was made today it would be a lot like that section of the movie would be a lot like the first act, like the ending of the first act of Iron Man. Like this was the first, like he'd come out in this giant steampunk suit of armor type deal. Like I had this thought for the first time, I've seen this movie a bunch of times. First time uh, I had this thought when I was watching it again, that sequence uh, when we're kind of building towards the final confrontation and Joe is kind of in this underground cave, One, he's stuck in a cave after being brought to his lowest point. Two, there's that shot where he's got the hammer and he's hammering the big plate. And I was just like, oh, it's the same shit. Like the Marvel movies have aesthetically referenced Leone's work in the past. Um, So I'm like, okay, well, that could just be an accident. But shit, that's very Iron Man-y. And Homeboy comes out of the cave with armor on now granted it's not the big like mark one suit it's just the the chest plate that he's got concealed but i was like oh shit this is very tony starkey yeah so i feel like if it was made today especially because uh, it's it's a recognizable ip but you're not allowed to make a movie and release it theatrically anymore unless it costs out of 250 million dollars they would definitely put him in a big like steampunk suit of armor and shit
0: i would walk out of the theater immediately i
1: would just just drink you know what i mean like i would just order more drinks and start pounding them
0: oh well, i don't drink so i would just have to be like i'm i think oh man time to beat traffic
1: um <laughs> you just stand up in the theater and loudly go
0: i left the oven on
1: <laughs> they just run climb are um, climbing over people
0: but that does uh, get me to another one of my "What's the difference?" Uh, every time I say it, I get a little more Jerry Seinfeld. Um, Seinfeld.
1: Seinfeld, shut up! <laughs> no, this is—you won't get sued now. Uh, yes, great. I wasn't saying anything derogatory about famous, ultra-rich comedian Jerry Seinfeld. I was talking about Jer- Jerfy Seinfeld.
0: Oh yes, definitely.
1: <laughs> it's like that'll <laughs> hold up in court. Um, but my. <laughs> My,
0: another, what's the difference?
1: And then you get sued by Jerfie Seinfeld. <laughs> what is the difference? What's the difference?
0: <laughs> um, is, yes, how the ending plays out, um, which essentially is in Yojimbo. We have Sanjiro um, coming face to face with the remainder of um, Ushitora's gang, and you know he basically swipes them all down. He he throws a a, a a sword, not a sword. He throws a a knife, gets rid of the guy's shooting hand, and then he takes him out. And you get a nice little uh, monologue from um, Unosuke. Fine. And then in Fistful of Dollars, um, instead, it, it feels like, uh, it feels like, uh, the man with no name's intention is to just break ramon's spirit yeah and so like he he, because we've established earlier when when uh they were all practicing their shooting on a suit of armor that uh ramon has this this belief that you always go for the heart
1: um yes also the scene that you're talking about where they're having this at the rojo compound they're having this sort of festive dinner. Uh one instance, very odd ob- most most blatant example of uh Leone's use of Roman Catholic imagery in the movie is of course the, the 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 Last Supper. You have a shot of them all at the table, which is very much a the the Last Supper.
0: Mm, okay. Nice. Yeah. Um but yeah, and so uh we get the payoff from that in the in this scene where essentially uh Ramon keeps shooting him in the heart and he just keeps getting
1: up uh, right. So so in Yojimbo, the sort of opposite number, the villain that our, our hero must face down in the final act. In Yojimbo, ultimately our villain's undoing is mostly that he underestimates our hero and underestimates that uh, Sanjuro is willing to fight a little dirty. Uh, whereas in this movie, Ramon's real undoing is just his ego and his pride and his belligerent commitment to doing things the way he wants to do them because all he had to do was shoot homeboy in the head right and he's fine but he refuses to do that because he is so ego driven and so prideful that he just he can't conceive of doing it any way but i have to i have to on principle kill this man by shooting his heart right it's ridiculous yeah
0: um, like he could have shot him literally anywhere else. And then the rest of his like team could have just finished him off. Like right. just one to the leg. And he's like, Oh, you got me.
1: <laughs> he's just like, all right
0: guys, do your thing. And it's just like 20 minutes of dudes taking
1: turns, reloading and shooting up this court. Oh dude. It's like when they kill Alex Murphy and Robocop in the first act, it's just a big, uh, uh, prosthetic Clint Eastwood and they blow up its hands and shit.
0: Yeah. Just like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought that was a really interesting way of having, because uh, the, the conflict of doing a pistol versus a sword is that one's a ranged weapon and the other is a, a melee weapon. And so like, that's the big conflict. But if both people are using ranged weapons, then like, how do you uh, make a clever turn for that? And I thought that was a really good way of uh, playing that out. Yes. Um, as opposed to like, I don't know, running, having his, him running zigzags or something until he got close enough.
1: <laughs> like he's running away from an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean,
0: you're supposed to serpentine if you're running away from someone shooting.
1: Oh my God. That's the, that's right. Serpentine fucking, fucking uh, the in-laws. That's a great movie. Um, You're just looking at me blank. You're like, I'm sure you know what you're talking about. Uh Uh, But no, like, you know, so when he enters that conflict, like he gets everybody's attention by detonating the dynamite. Instead, he just runs in like no dust from the explosion. He just runs in like and Ramon and all of them are like, what? oh, it's it's him. Get get ready with your what's he what's he? Running for oh shit he released the alligators and it's just like a thousand where the fuck did they come from a thousand alligators running behind just a swarm the town and shit
0: <laughs> and as alligators are just like take over every building he's like will I save the city job well done going on to the next one.
1: <laughs> and he just rides his mule out of town. And I,
0: in my mind, I imagined him riding alligators like skis.
1: <laughs> but like they're actually they function more like giant shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I was wondering
0: what how they were going to use that dynamite. Um, if if that was going to be the thing he used to like blow them all up. Right. Or, yeah. They're
1: but mostly it, just an attention grabber.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He got their attention and then basically uh, they. it was a nice way of them reenacting uh, Sandro walking through the smoke. Because mm-hmm. um, before it was just windy and dusty and, and leftover smoke from when they burnt down uh, Sebe's place. Right. But this time the, he got to just be like, I'm going to set the mood, baby. Yeah, it was just a mood setter. It was just so that he could walk through the smoke that way. Right. Um, so I dug it. Um, I mean, those are the, the main... Differences between the stories. Everything else is main. I guess there, the the other, the last big difference between the stories is the government subplot. Mm-hmm. Um, in in Yojimbo, there was a a, a moment in which the um, the shogunate was coming through town, and so everything got real quiet because they were like, "We can't get the government involved in our dirty, dirty business." Right um but this time it ended up being a very big part of the story so in fistful of dollars uh essentially the rojos take or take a bunch of gold by killing everyone in the american government and um making it look like there was infighting and uh so then clint eastwood was able to use that to his advantage and he made it seem like two of the people had escaped and got both teams to go and race off to go find those two people while well, he found the gold himself. What a sneaky, sneaky, sneak. Ooh, <laughs> baby. Um, and I like that because it, it made the stakes higher. Um, in that the, you in, in, in Japan, like, you know, there is ju- it's it at the time it was so isolated that you didn't have to deal with multiple governments and, and like, you know, uh, Unosuke having a gun was like the sign that the West was creeping in. Um, but this was a really interesting way of integrating the history of that era mm-hmm. into the story. In mm-hmm. that, like, you're you're not just between a couple crime bosses, but it's also uh, a, a conflict between two different governments as well. Yes. Um, and so I really liked that aspect and that that like subplot.
1: Yes. And I, I, I like that at the very end of the movie, uh, he decides, no, I'm definitely not hanging around here because it's going to be the American government and the Mexican government. And that shit is too dangerous. Right. It's like, fuck y'all. And me and my mule <laughs> fucking off.
0: Um, I, I One complaint. I don't like that. They keep calling that horse a mule. <laughs> it's legit a horse. <laughs> Leave it alone. Maybe its name is mule. No, I don't. I also don't like that. That's like when you, if you have like a a dog, and you call it gorilla or something, and you're like, why? Why would you do that? Just get a gorilla. Or if you owned a wolf and you were like, sup dog, and it's like that wolf is like, I have a high degree. I have a high pedigree. I deserve respect. And you're like, you're just a dog, ain't you? You're just a little, little shit dog. You, you shit yourself every day. And it's Fucking like, wolf I have you.
1: dignity. <laughs> respect <laughs> me. Like as he's ripping your throat out. <laughs> um. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Um uh, man. Um. So yeah. Those are that. That's. I think that's the end of the segment of what's the difference. <laughs> Um. So I had read that there is for the television release of the movie. Yes. They added a small scene at the very beginning where like the mayor walks up and is like, hey if you help me get rid of the the scourge in this town we'll pardon you for all your crimes yeah
1: like they have to it was so you got to remember the american western hero traditionally had been like you know the very clean shaven white hat you know honest true like boy scout do-gooder cowboy right uh clint eastwood's character was very much not that actually interestingly uh, one point of reference for leone was actually the james bond movies which had just uh, started to come out i want to say dr no was 62. i want to say that and from russia with love had had come out by this time okay um and and you know he's very much not like a traditional he's clean shaven usually but he's not you know the traditional western hero either he's very much a sort of cold-blooded womanizing uh, killing machine and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and that was just so not the norm, especially in westerns for American audiences. So we we talked about like you, you know your your the way you put it was it's he just sort of does things. There doesn't seem to be any heroic intention. It's just he goes fuck some shit up and a lot of people die, and that just wasn't viewed as palatable for an american audience especially in a western so when it aired on television yeah they had to they felt they needed desperately to contextualize why he's here and why he's doing what he's doing so yeah it's almost like a suicide squad type scenario where it's <laughs> like you you time to start working off some of those years and shit and they didn't have clint eastwood right so it's just a double that they have uh, for him but he's talking to fucking uh, harry dean stanton Which is, which is real interesting and weird and random. But yeah, that scene is there because they just couldn't fathom airing this film for, uh, you know, uh, American, fragile American audiences without assuring them, no, no, this, this man uh, fights for the side of, of good. These are good murders. These are, (laughs) these are murders for, for truth and things.
0: Yeah. I mean. Truth, justice, and the American way, baby. We got to ascribe some more morality to these things, you know? He can't just be a less bad guy. He has to be a good guy.
1: Right. Like, we just were not down at the time for moral ambiguity in our, our television, Western entertainment. But to be fair, like, especially if it's airing on TV... Like, television westerns, very, very much uh, clean-shaven, all-American hero types. Like, I'm thinking, like you know, like uh, uh, Steve McQueen in Wanted, Dead or Alive. Um, Or, you know, if you've seen, if you saw Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the types of shows that uh, Rick Dalton, Leonardo DiCaprio's character would star on, that type of thing, very much clean-shaven, all-American, unambiguously morally righteous, you know, and this was just so not that at all. And they're like, oh, shit, we have to fucking, we gotta mop up this mess and, and stuff. How are we gonna get out of this pickle? I know, we'll call Harry Dean, and Harry Dean will suicide squad that shit. Harry Dean's been calling three times a day, being like, when can I suicide squad some motherfuckers? So we're gonna kill, like, six birds with one stone. We're gonna make Harry Dean happy. We're gonna make the American people happy. We're gonna make our shareholders happy. And it's gonna be a good fucking day.
0: Hell yeah. They're
1: like call in the consultant. It's fucking Harry Dean Stanton. Like yeah. It's, it was it was always Harry Dean Stanton. Whenever you whenever anyone in the business needed some motherfucker suicide squatted Said like call Harry. <laughs> T-
0: um yeah, that's why he's there in the Avengers. Um he's like we, we got to get we got to get the Hulk back into into, into gear. Take these pants.
1: <laughs> yep, that's his catchphrase. Yep. Take these pants. <laughs>
0: Uh, I was reading that uh, apparently when Sergio Leone was getting into doing this film, uh, he was not crazy familiar with uh, Western like history, the, the settings and like how traditional shooting works, which I think. Uh, as I was reading, like ultimately worked to his advantage because it gave this movie its own style. Mm -hmm. But um, also it meant that uh, Clint Eastwood had to come in and be like, Hey, you know, these, these things are wrong and these people didn't wear this and all that stuff. Um, So it ended up being a really interesting partnership between the two of them. Like uh, Clint Eastwood was, 100% not the first person picked for this. He was like 17th in line.
1: And that's usually what happened like the the whole big run of uh spaghetti westerns like in their in their big heyday, that would happen a lot. They would want the big expensive. Like I think for this one one of the actors they looked at was Charles Bronson. Um who Leone would eventually work with on uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, which a lot of people consider to be his masterpiece even over Good the Bad and the Ugly. But they went to Charles Bronson and they couldn't afford Charles Bronson. So, okay, let's go will like reach deep and grab this TV actor from from rawhide, but that's usually what happened. and that's how you end up with a lot of leads um, that you that you get in that era. Uh, Sergio Corbucci, who uh, in um in once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, Pacino's character is pitching uh, Rick Dalton on the idea of going to Italy and making Italian westerns, which was seen as like that's what you do when you're desperate, you're in your fallow period. And he's being uh, he's pitching him the idea of going and making westerns with Sergio Corbucci. Uh, Rick Dalton says, well, who the fuck is Sergio Corbucci? He says, the second greatest director of Italian Westerns uh, of all time. And this is true. Sergio Corbucci directed uh, the original Django, which is itself a much looser remake, but also very directly inspired by Ojimbo. He did uh, The Great Silence. But uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he looked at, I want to say Steve McQueen, for example, uh, for uh, Navajo Joe which is a wild, wild movie. Um, but he ended up with Burt Reynolds, who was going through a, a bit of a fallow period at that time. So Burt Reynolds plays a Native American. I will say, Ennio Marcone does the music for that movie. Bomb as fuck. Uh, but that was pretty typical. You know what I mean? Like you talk about Eastwood not being their first choice. They usually couldn't afford, like these weren't ultra expensive productions by and large, so they couldn't afford their first, second, third choice sometimes. But that's how you end up with most of the iconic performance is in any of these movies like you get a guy like Eastwood who's kind of hungry right like he's looking to break and he's looking to be a collaborator and he's smart enough to know I'm actually better served as an actor doing my job by taking lines of dialogue away from myself you know what I mean so like ultimately as we all know it really worked out for the best but it's a byproduct of how these these movies they they didn't have a huge amount of money to throw around right yeah
0: yeah, uh, Clint Eastwood was only paid fifteen thousand dollars to do this movie. I think the f- total budget was around two hundred thousand, um, which is, I mean, especially by today's standards, nothing. Right. Like you could get a loan for that and 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 make this movie all over again, though it'd cost you six times that um, just to just to shoot it, uh, and it, let alone get Clint Eastwood, who like is in the millions now.
1: Yep, making that Richard Jewell. I don't know what that means. Is his most recent movie, Richard Jewell.
0: Oh, got it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Cool like Jewell. That's I, what it says on the poster. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm honest, I stopped paying attention to Clint Eastwood after he, uh, I don't he talked to a chair the at chair some point. Thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was in 2012. Uh, I think there was a, uh, I don't know. Oh, yes. 2012 when- Uh, We were doing an election. You know how elections work every four years? Um, And he was like, Obama bad. Don't go for Obama. I'm racist. Um, Those were his words, not mine. Um, Anyway, so that's when I stopped paying attention to him. Um, That's fair. (laughs) uh, But okay, so... Lex Michael, what else do you feel like people should take away from this movie?
1: Uh, I mean, again, I I understand, especially if you're not a Western person, the barrier for entry can be high. For me, what makes all the difference is how ultra stylized these movies are. And I feel like, you know, I mean, say what you will about the way Tarantino appropriates uh, elements of other people's work to do what he ultimately does. But I do think... He's doing a bit of a public service by, by lifting so heavily from spaghetti westerns, uh, uh, Leone's and Corbucci's movies in particular, because I don't know that generationally we would still be talking about these movies to the degree that we are. So, And it's, it's great that there's, there's been sort of, a uh, since their heyday, there's been sort of a resurgence of appreciation for spaghetti westerns and European westerns overall. Okay. Uh and I I dig these things. I dig how big and operatic they are. I dig how iconic every element of the great ones feel to me. I dig that it's it's clear that they don't have a huge amount of money to throw around and yet they find ways to tell stories that feel so big and operatic and the techniques that they have to use to implement their vision. Uh and not for nothing like Fuck, and Neo Morricone can write music, bro. Like, this isn't even, in my opinion, Fistful of Dollars is not even one of his strongest scores, and I still think this movie has so many, like, ultra-iconic pieces of spaghetti Western music in it. Um, I don't know. I'm a big fan. Like, I'm a big fan of all of the elements, and I think, you know, your mileage may vary on uh, whether you feel like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts or not, and especially if you're not a Western person. Yeah, okay, fair enough. You may not. Feel that it is personally, but I think every individual element is so strong and so inventive and so unique or unique at the time, of course. And this, like we talked about early in the conversation, really broke the dam. And suddenly there were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of these things that came out over the next several years. And some of them are fantastic. You know, I mean, I, I could recommend a bunch of uh, spaghetti westerns to you that I think are excellent like I just rewatched Corbucci's The Great Silence the other night fucking phenomenal movie Um, but at the time this really was this singular thing there wasn't really a precedent for Fistful of Dollars and you know like we've talked about before I love a discovering for myself and b also kind of guiding other people to discovering what was sort of ground zero for this thing or these things that became Cliches, you know what I mean. Right. It became so iconic that now everybody knows it. You know, so many people have never seen a spaghetti western in their lives, but would recognize, you know, Morricone's theme from *The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly*, for example. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, uh, another piece of music from that movie, uh, it's *The Ecstasy of Gold*. I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if they still do, but like Metallica would open their live shows. Like they'd come out to that. You know what I mean? Like just seeing where, where all of this stuff originated from and seeing, I mean, like for, for me personally, seeing that those elements are actually that strong, you know, like, again, whether or not you feel personally, like for your taste, the whole is greater than the sum of those parts. I feel like all of the individual parts are so strong. And that's why like first couple of times I saw a safest full of dollars, it didn't completely grab me. Like I, I experienced a bit of that barrier to entry, but all of those individual elements were so strong that i kept coming back to it and now i feel like yeah like i'm just like that's that's my jam and that's how i feel about a lot of uh, spaghetti westerns but uh, this of course being a uh ground zero for that entire phenomenon uh but also yeah being being directly pertinent to uh, our ongoing conversation because it's very singular but also a, it's, a, it's a remake of Yojimbo they weren't they didn't say that they couldn't say it because they hadn't cleared the rights Which is why there was that lawsuit and the US release was delayed for three years, right? But this is a re, it's a remake of Yojimbo And so I think that's a really interesting crossroads for this thing to exist at Because it's a remake of a previous movie from a completely different culture um, But also it's it's com- it's a completely original animal You know, yeah. so I I think this thing is so fascinating and so great and so, uh, what what are your what are your final thoughts as somebody who, yeah, you you didn't really get as much out of the movie as say, "I get out of it." but uh, like, how do you feel now having seen the movie and talked through it uh, about, say, the individual components of the thing?
0: Um, I think in terms of the individual components, I do like. I I think that they found very clever ways of adapting the original story. Um, I think that a lot of the acting was was quite fun. Um, the The visuals for for what they like for being made in the sixties were really uh, well crafted, especially the way that like they executed some things. Like, there's a moment in uh the i want to say the latter half of the movie when uh clint eastwood is beat up and he has to escape and he uses a big giant barrel to take out two dudes
1: yes Um, super fun
0: yeah i thought that was really cool and clever like i was wondering how they were going to go about doing the escape and i thought that that was a really nice way of going about it and also having him like physically crawling through all these things and how they did those those tracking shots is as he's crawling, the moment he gets undercover, in the same shot they just pan over and you get to see the other people um, coming into frame. Like, being able to uh, utilize those, like, single shots really well. Um, I think it was... It's a well-crafted movie. Um, I think my big barrier for Westerns is the same reason why Westerns kind of fell out of public
1: uh, like... Yeah, they were sort of the superhero movies of their day. Like, that was the big genre of the time, the sort of fad that they they would just keep churning out a bunch of them.
0: Right. And I think it's, like, the big aspects are... Westerns are, a lot of the times, problematic in nature, um, especially with the way that they um, depict people of color and the way that, like... uh, It's historically inaccurate in a lot of aspects and and so like a lot of people have a misconception about like
1: what cowboys were and what they did and all that stuff It's very much based in cultural myth as opposed to any kind of reality
0: right um and so like i think that those pieces are are the big barriers of entry for me and that like i can't help but be like oh yeah of course the big evil group are the the mexicans or whatever um and so like those things i i have to like analyze and, and really like contextualize as i'm watching and stuff like that uh but i think that as a as a movie and as a as a cultural phenomenon um i think i can appreciate all the aspects of like when this was made and 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 not like try to hold it by today's standards right. and all that stuff like i can i can do that um i think it's just maybe for me um i just i think i just needed something and I can't really put my finger on it.
1: I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. How did you, how did you feel about the, the dubbing? Um, I, well,
0: I, uh, knew going in that everything is dubbed. Like they shoot everything silent and yeah, then they, they, they have they to like redub it. And right. so I wasn't like, I didn't mind it as much. It's cause it's the same way in, um, the never ending story, like the people were speaking their native language and they just redubbed it in English. Um, and I watch a lot of like subtitled stuff. So it like, doesn't matter. Um, so I thought it was fine. Like I assumed it was going to be like a little weirdly dubbed, but, um, I think after the first minute or so I was like, yep. All right. Settled in.
1: It, it helps that Eastwood is dubbing himself. I think a little bit. Uh, I think that bridges that gap slightly it, uh, yeah. What they would do is they, like you said, they weren't really worried about on set, Audio knowing that they were just gonna loop all of it, but they just they allowed every actor regardless of where they were from some of them were Italian some of them were Spanish some of them were were, uh, West German uh, some of them were American, but uh, they would let everybody speak their native language on set and then would just yeah dub it over for for territory. So like you get you'll have obviously dubbing where none of the the dialogue that you're hearing will match people's lips, but you'll also get scenes with Eastwood where he is. Dubbing the exact same dialogue he said on set and the the Words are pretty close to matching his lips um, And it's dead on in one or two spots while he's talking yeah. But it also creates this very strange it bridges one gap, but then also creates this very weird sort of uncanny effect where it's clint eastwood's voice you know quote-unquote coming out of clint eastwood but it's just a hair off of the way his mouth is moving and there's just something so and i'm you know you get so used to it watching spaghetti westerns but it's just so odd when you take a step back it's just such an odd effect
0: interesting i mean i think because a lot of his dialogue is said with a cigar in his mouth right um and so it, it means that he's not opening his mouth all the way i think it bothers me less than that like i can my brain can just assume that anything that is slightly out of sync is just said through his teeth okay um and and again like if you if you watch a lot of dub stuff your brain just goes words enter right
1: Um, that's fair Uh, you mentioned his cigar so eastwood apparently hated that cigar and it was also one i don't know too much about this type of thing but it's apparently like a really difficult cigar to smoke and like he was apparently very vocal about being anti-smoking yeah and so he he did say like i would light it up maybe and take one puff of it before a scene and it would get me into the right headspace which is like a sort of fog uh but he that's why you don't usually see him smoking it on camera you just see it in his mouth, and uh, I, I believe the, the story, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but the story is when they came back to do for a few dollars more, uh, Eastwood went to Sergio Leone and said, "Like, well, do I have to have the cigar in this one?" And Leone says, "Well, of course you do. It's the star." <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> um, I, I mean, they could have
0: gotten rid of it if he would have been like this man with no name changes who he is every time he's in a new village <laughs> and so he like like you see him at the very beginning with the cigar and he like flicks it off and goes my name's sam now
1: would have been good <laughs> <laughs> at the end of this full of dollars like the credits roll and at the end uh his he's riding his mule over the hill at sunset and then it goes to like a close-up with the cigar in his mouth and he goes hey kids you know me as the man with no name but i'd like you to know me as takes this the the cigar flicks it the man without lung cancer now i'm gonna talk to you about smoking
0: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah that was also in the american uh broadcast version it's crazy (laughs)
1: Fuck this Suicide Squad and the cigar. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, he flicks it. Harry Dean Stanton just shows up. Fucking swats it out of the air. <laughs>
0: um, I mean, that would have been better than like. So currently in modern Japanese anime, um, since smoking is like, not they don't want kids to smoke. Uh, if they have a character who smokes, they just black out their whole face. <laughs>
1: It's weird and I hate it. It's just that'd be the whole movie. Like if they tried to, if they released it over there, it would just be like this strange man with a block for a head. Yeah. I like to imagine that they um, blur it out. So it looks like he
0: has just a little dick in his mouth. It's
1: just like a little, little blurry dick.
0: Um, anyway.
1: It's like he's chewing on a poop.
0: Uh, um. All right. Do you have anything? Do you have anything else uh, before we close out?
1: Um, I dig the movie a bunch. It's not my favorite spaghetti Western, uh, but it, uh, again, like I think it, it merits a lot of conversation. Uh, and I think we, we did a good job bringing some conversation out of it. I, yeah, I'm a big spaghetti Western fan. Um, so I, I like the opportunity to sort of turn people onto this, this concept, these movies, because I do think, again, even if it's not your, cup of tea overall i think some of these individual elements are so strong and so often copied and so i love being able to direct people's attention back towards sort of where a lot of this stuff began uh and i'm glad i'm glad glad i had the the opportunity to to share with you as well because this is your first first spaghetti western yes yeah, I mean you've seen some of Tarantino's movies, so like you've seen movies that lift very, very liberally from some of these movies. But yeah, yeah. okay. So see, I feel like I'm doing I'm doing good things, even though it's not necessarily your jam. I feel like I am doing important fucking work, goddammit. Oh showing you uh showing you some of this stuff because like yeah, I like I like being able to spread it around a little
0: bit. Right. That's how I feel about sharing anime with you. Yeah. I'm doing the Lord's work. Mm. I'm doing Buddha's work, baby. Mm. Ah, yeah. Now you know. you know. Now you know that I've been put on this earth to give you anime, to make you feel good about that no. sweet, sweet Japanese production. No. Oh yeah. No. Anyways, uh, everyone <laughs> at home, what did you think about Fistful of Dollars? And did we miss any, what's the difference? Uh, did we miss any of those? What else was different? Other than the people. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of what the difference is, though, Tari, what are we? What are we doing next week? Thanks for asking. Next week, we're going to be talking about Last Man Standing, baby. It's the one starring Bruce Willis, not the one with Tim Allen.
1: Yes, uh, it's a Walter Hill movie that is an official remake of *Yojimbo*. Uh, also the least well-received of the three but uh, yes, that's how we're going to be concluding we're doing this chronologically man yeah. I, I don't know if we've saved the best for last, but we've certainly saved the one with the most Willis right. for last Yeah, um, and so yeah, that's going to sort of conclude our three-week series our trilogy of Of uh, Yojimbo based storylines Because I think uh, You know Obviously Last Man Standing Official remake uh, uh, Fistful of dollars uh, Unofficial remake That's very blatantly a remake And uh, I think Yojimbo Is pretty Yojimbo based Uh, So we're gonna wrap up The month with no name With Walter Hill's Last Man Standing Uh, Join us Won't you Yes Please do Throw your stick in the air And wherever it comes down Be like Fuck you stick I'm making my own choices And come over here Yeah Game plan with your mule though Because like You bring the mule
0: yeah yeah yeah. and don't shoot at the mule because you don't like
1: that yeah sometimes he thinks you're laughing at him and stuff
0: Uh uh-huh uh-huh um but in between episodes uh you can hit us up on twitter at missing outcast m-i-s-s-i-n-g-o-u-t-c-a-s-t but if you're like yo lex i want to talk to you about spaghetti westerns because my favorite is good bad and the ugly uh you can do so where can they find you
1: uh i'm on twitter and instagram at the lex michael and also uh as i've mentioned on this show once or twice before tari uh i do another podcast oh yeah I'm podcasting behind your back
0: ooh it's i know about it we're we're podcast amorous it's
1: the it's the it's the ultimate betrayal man nah baby potty amorous, <laughs> potty amorous. <laughs> That's something about that feels icky. Uh, But so uh, I do another podcast uh, with uh, Marianne Ramish, with whom I'm in a relationship. It's called Friends with Benefits. Uh, She's a real big fan, as many of y'all are, of the show Friends, one of the most iconic juggernauts in the history of popular culture. Uh, I'm not really a fan and not like burn it all down, but I just, you know, it's never my never my thing. But as you know, if you listen to this show, I'm very, uh, I'm really into my sort of clinical autopsy-like analysis of popular culture, and she's a big fan, wants to show me this entire series. So we're going episode by episode through the entire series of Friends, and we're going to break it down from a, a fan's perspective and also from a critical perspective as well. Uh, we're having a good time doing it. I think if you dig this show, you you might dig what we're doing over there. So come check that out, Friends with Benefits podcast, uh, and you can get it wherever. Uh, your good podcast can be found and uh, it's it's up on the big ones big platforms and it's going to be up everywhere else in the relatively near future but but check it out we uh we like it we like it we we like it so much it's good
0: uh i've listened to some episodes and it's really fun uh they have a good dynamic and every so often they'll like have some food and stuff and be talking about that so uh check it out but in the meantime you can also find me at tari j t-a-u-r-i-j-a-y that's on twitter And if you have an Instagram, I'm also on there, but I only post when I'm on vacation. And I'm not on that now, so it doesn't matter. Um, But yes, and we will talk to you next week in which we'll be covering Last Man Standing during the month with no name. So until then, this has been the retrospective that is introspective.
1: Uh, Now you have a new perspective. Go get suicide squatted, kids. Go no, that's that's no good. Go suicide squad your smokes. There we go, that's a family friendly message. Heck suicide yeah. squad your smokes, be like the man with no cancer lungs. <laughs> <laughs>